I don't know about you, but I like kind of a do all that again because that was very, very refreshing. I've learned a lesson over the years in the Bible and in relationship with the Lord, and that is when God repeats himself, pay attention. God has repeated himself this morning. As we were praying earlier, Nathan read through this passage in Revelation that led to a conversation just in the room. It led me to come in here to the worship team and just express my gratitude for them and their efforts and their energy and how they lead us in the worship of our great God week in and week out. They spend a lot of time rehearsing and practicing, um, truly blessed. And I think that the Lord wants our attention on him this morning in the worship of him. This is what Nathan read, and this is what I'm going to read, because this was the second song also worthy of it all. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard, was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold... See this. See this in your imagination, in your mind, in your heart. Behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. And he who sat there, he was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. All these colors. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne, 24 thrones. And on those thrones... I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, the righteousness of God. They had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Just hear this in your heart. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and in the back. Incredible imagery. The first living creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest. Listen to this. They do not rest day or night saying, See the one who is on the throne and look at his creation around him in heaven and look at what they are doing without rest. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their, their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. As you take time greeting one another this morning, you are looking into the eyes of a creature of God. A life who God has created, caused to exist according to his will because he loves you 
He wants a relationship with you. And he wants you to participate in this scene and to experience this scene right now, today, and for all eternity. So take a few minutes, welcome one another, love on each other, and then we'll get into Acts. All right, let's get into the word. We have a whole chapter to cover this morning and just awesome content. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. Again, and I want to continue to give you thanks for this morning, for this day. Already it's been a day that's been filled with you. Seeking you in prayer, seeking you in worship, and remembering your body and your blood through communion. Seeking you in fellowship, Lord, with my brothers and sisters. So grateful for the men and women and kids that you've placed into my life, Lord. What a privilege. Thank you that we're not alone. Thank you for your presence. Lord, but in the midst of our our community here, the body of Christ, there's a lot of diversity. It's easy to, to feel like we're not seen, like we're not understood, that we're not cared for. Lord, let us look to you and all those circumstances, and as brothers and sisters, Lord, enable us to see one another. And so important as we sit in, in, in your word this morning. Let us see you, and let us see each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's read through Acts chapter 3. It says, Now when Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging, begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement and what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just 
and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. In his name, through faith in his name, may this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord." And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet for you, a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things. Whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow as many as have spoken have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. Saying to Abraham, in your seed... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning every one of you from your iniquities. Now, I titled this morning's message, Do You See Me? This is going to be part one of part two. So look at all these references in regards to sight. In verse uh, 3-3, the lame man, he sees Peter and John. In verse 4, Peter and John are fixing their eyes on this lame man. They're telling him in verse 4 to look at us. This man gives to them his attention. After the miracle occurs, it says all the people see this man that was lame. Peter is seeing the response of the crowd in verse 12. He saw it. He's asking them, why are you looking intently at us? Why are you looking at us and not at the Lord who is the source of this miracle? Again, in verse 16, it's uh, directing the attention. You see and know this man who is healed. We're going to look at the lame man and the apostles and the crowd this morning in regards to answering this question, do you see me? And then next week, we'll look at it in chapter 4 from the perspective of the rulers and from the perspective of God as we flow through this. But I want you to think about this question. So hang with me for a minute, and then we'll get into the text and why I think that this is so important. But think about this question. Do you see me? You may not ask that specific question every single day and of other people, day in and day out. For those of you who are married, looking at your spouse, do you see me? 
Do you see my involvement in this relationship? Do you see what I do? Do you see who I am? Do you see what I'm struggling with? Do you see me? And when are you offended at your spouse? When you answer that question in the negative, you don't see me. And when you feel that you are not seen, this is when you are hurt. This is when you are offended. Let's ask this question about God. God, do you see me? When we answer it in the negative, as though God does not see you and doesn't know you and doesn't know what's going on, this is when we kick against God. Don't you see me? Don't you see what's going on? Don't you see my circumstances? So when we answer this question in the negative and we're looking for the attention of others to serve us, to affirm us in some fashion, usually this is when we become unraveled emotionally in the situation. This is when we're getting frustrated. So we can also flip this question and often the healthier way is to, is to flip this question in regards to who is the subject and who is the object. Often, the me, the object, it's, it's me because I'm always thinking about myself first. But I need to be asking the, myself this question, Blake, do you see them? Do I see you? Do I see my spouse? Do I see my kids? Do I see my boss? Do I see my coworkers? Do I see my employees? Do I see God? Do I see the lame? So let's look at this question from the lame man's perspective and attempt to sit in his story a little bit. We're told in chapter 4 that he's over 40 years old. This means before Jesus was born, this man was born. And he came out of his mom's womb broken. So in all the excitement for you who have had children and who have had healthy children, you know the, the praise that's there, the joy that's there, the wonder that's there, the relationship that you have with your newborn child. Some of you have had children that have come out broken. And the pain that's associated with that and the hardship. Asking God the question, do you see me? What's going on? For this child and the family that he was born into, he was born broken. And as we sit in his story a little bit, every single one of us can sit with him in our lameness, in our brokenness. This word lame, it means it's loose. So in his feet, in his ankles, there's no strength. The healing that occurs in his life as he goes from being lame and broken to there's now strength. There's now stability in his legs that he can stand up and walk. But for over 40 years, this man is incapable of moving himself from point A to point B any great distance to the point that he had to be carried every single day to his livelihood, which was dependent upon the charity of other human beings. Have any of you ever had to ask anybody for money? Whether you're going to ask your parents Maybe you've had to ask a stranger. Maybe you've had to ask a boss for a raise or something along those lines. It's, it's very humbling. It can be humiliating. So here you have this man who has to be carried, which is going to be humiliating enough on a daily basis. 
He is incapable of using crutches. That means there's no stability in his legs at all. We have modern convenience of wheelchairs. This man may have had some kind of means around his home, but to get to where he needs for his livelihood to be provided for, which his livelihood is asking people for their charity. His livelihood is asking everybody the question that passes him on these stairs, do you see me? How many people walk by him every single day, I don't see you, I don't want to see you. As we sit in from widows and orphans and the homeless and the poor in our community, those people who you may have prejudices against, those people who you really just, you don't want to see because you don't want to enter into that. Often we put, all of us put on our blinders because it's hard, it's uncomfortable. And like even in context in this situation, it says that this man was laid at this gate of the temple, the gate beautiful, daily. More than likely, that means that Jesus walked by this man. More than likely, the disciples, followers of Christ, we're told that there's 3,000 in this community. And we only have Peter and John in this scene going to the temple on this day at this hour for prayer. How many times did they pass by this same man? Maybe they saw him to the perspective of it's easy to, here's some pocket change. You know, here's, here's easy. But here on this day, Peter and John, they see him with a whole different perspective because of what God is doing in their minds and what God is doing in this situation. But here as we look at this lame man, he is, he is looking to human beings that are walking in his presence to go and worship the God who created him just as much as them. And as he's asking for alms, as he's asking for charity, as he's asking for help, recognizing that he has no means to work a job that's going to provide an income for him, He's asking people, do you see me? Now shifting it into the perspective of the apostles. So for Peter and John, they're looking at this man as they go by. They do see him. And there's something specific that the Lord is doing in this day, at this hour, in this moment. That God is getting the attention of both Peter and John. They see this man, and it's not that they just see him, and it's not that they just hear him. It's Peter turns his attention, and he's fixing his gaze on him. Because there's something that God would have me do in service to this man. And Peter's response to him is, look at me. Getting this guy's attention. And now we can kind of get back into his story a little bit. And this is, I talk about this often in my own heart. And every time I see expectations come up in the Bible, it's always a reminder to me of how damaging expectations can be when those expectations don't, they aren't fulfilled in the way that we anticipate. But this man is now looking at Peter and John. These guys are going to give me money. 
And in this culture, you know, it's, it's just like with us. If, you, if there's a guy sitting on the stairs and you're, and you're coming up here and you just put some money in the cup or in the hat or whatever, it's really easy to pass by without any interaction, right? But if you're going to stop and you're going to have a conversation with the person that you're giving money to, more than likely you're probably going you know, to open up your wallet a little bit further. There's, there's a greater gift coming. So it's the same thing in this culture. Remember Jesus says to, get, to do your charitable deeds in private. And your father who sees what you do in secret, he'll reward you openly. And then Jesus later on, he condemns the religious leaders of the day of doing their charitable deeds just for the public praise that they get. So more than likely when Peter and John are telling this guy, look at me, his expectations are these guys are going to give a public gift. And a public gift, it's always going to be bigger than the private gift, right? We'll crumple up the $1 bill and give it secretly. But if we're going to give a $100 bill, hey, you know, there's, this is human nature. Um, and again, the Lord deals with our hearts and that kind of stuff. But this guy in his environment is expecting probably some gold and some silver. A larger chunk of change is coming his direction because somebody wants to give to me publicly. And this is, this is, I love, I absolutely love that this miracle is in the word of God and that this is how it went down. Because Peter is there, his, his pockets aren't jingling with change. I don't have silver and gold to give you. But what I do have is I have access to God's treasury. I have access to our creator's infinite finances. All that he has as his child, it's mine. Not mine to possess, but I have access to it. And I'm listening to my Lord and to your Lord right now. And he's not telling me to give to you just a material blessing. What he's asking me to give to you is what I have already received myself. And what I have received is Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, in his nature in his character, in his authority, in his power, in his love, in his grace, in his forgiveness, stand up and walk. Again, this isn't, this isn't a, the miracle is being performed. Later, at the end of chapter two that we covered last week, it says there were all these wonders and signs that were being performed by the apostles. And every single one of these signs and wonders that's being performed is to give true testimony to who Jesus is. That that man who this whole culture knows was crucified on the cross, who this whole culture knows is being testified that people saw him again rise from the dead, that they had conversations with him, that they ate, that they listened to him, that they watched him rise into heaven. This is, this is known in the community of what these guys are sharing, what they're saying and what's gone on. And there's a lot of curiosity. God is continuing to use these miracles to gather the crowd, to attend to the message. But I love just in our lives and in our relationship with the Lord, 
as we are seeing other people. I don't know about, I get overwhelmed with your needs. I get overwhelmed with the needs of my spouse, with the needs of my kids, with the needs of the church, with the needs of my job. People's needs are overwhelming. And I'm one of the guys, I want to fix everything. I want to fix you. I want to fix your problems. I want to free you from every trial and tribulation. I want you happy, fat, wealthy, doing whatever you want, enjoy with the Lord. Just, I want you just perfectly in bliss. That's not real. And in my stupid flesh, I'll sit there and I'll, you know, I can get discouraged really easy because I don't have the solution to your problem, you know, the, the worldly solution. And then the Lord's always there to remind me, yes, I do have the solution. I have Jesus Christ. I'm not called to save you out of your circumstances. I'm not called to save you out of your health situations, your marital problems, your parenting problems, your job problems, your culture problems, your you problems. I'm here to give to you he who I have already received. Because I know by testimony, my fix, the solution to all of my problems, whatever they have been historically, has always been the Lord. Blake, look at me. Do you see me, son? Yeah, I see you, Lord. Have I promised to take care of you? Yes, Lord. Have I promised you life? Yes, Lord. Have I promised you provision? Yes, Lord. I promise to lead you and protect you. Yes, Lord. Do you trust me? Yes, Lord. You know that I trust you. He's not, he hasn't called me to to save you. He's called me to point you to who does save you, which is our Lord. He's beautiful. So I I love the phrase, like, I can't help you. But I do know the one who can help you. And the one who can help you is directing me with his power and with his authority to command you to stand up and walk. And I love, again, the man who's got the the loose slack joints is now stable. For those of us who did not know the Lord and were broken and loose and incapable of doing anything for ourselves other than begging, essentially. That moment of being introduced to Jesus, recognizing that I am now strong and stable in him. Jesus is the foundation. His word describes him to me. His spirit is now in me. I stand in him. I'm strong in him. He is my refuge from any oppressor and any attack, whatever that looks like. He is my strength. His grace is sufficient. I am loved. I am cherished. I am his child. I am one with him now. And all of the brokenness that I still have and that I'm still processing through, he doesn't love me any less when I fall. He takes those things one subject matter at a time and says, now let's work on this, now let's work on that, now let's work on that. Oh, you need to go through this lesson again. I mean, right now, the the Lord's been working on me this year in a way where I'm anticipating him to do one thing, that expectation. I think that I've learned a lesson, and let's talk about this again, son. Let's make sure you get this. Let's make sure you understand that. 
I have my prejudices in regards to who God is, in regards to what my calling is in him, what my life is supposed to look like, what I am to be doing, what I think that I shouldn't be doing, those rocks that I'll throw at the way that other people follow the Lord and those kinds of things. You know, he's working on me in all of these different ways in this sentence, asking me the question, do you see me? Not asking the question, do y'all see me? When I sit up here, when I stand up here, when I interact with you and I'm asking that question whether or not you see me or not, no, you don't see me. You don't understand me. You don't know what I go through on a daily basis. You don't know all the, all the, the trials and the tribulations and the temptations and the conversations and the emails and the phone calls and the pressures. You guys don't know any of that. You know some of it. And then at the same time, you're looking at me and saying, Blake, don't you see me? Don't you know how I am serving the Lord? You don't know what my relationship looks like with the Lord, Blake. You don't know how I'm praying and what I'm seeking, what I'm struggling with, what my devotion life looks like. You don't know what my marriage looks like. You don't know what my parenting looks like. You don't know what my singleness looks like. And this is the fellowship where we get to know one another in context and we see each other. Not in judgment, not in what we're not receiving from one another but seeing one another in truth. We sang this song at the end. Lord, speak what is true. Speak to me what is true about me and my relationship with you. Speak to me what is true about the men and women that I get to spend this life with and that I'm going to spend all eternity with. Speak to me what's true about them. The first, day, the first Sunday, the first day that I came into this congregation, the Lord very specifically said to me, don't judge. Be a physician. And that's the, how I answer that question differently and how I see you. Blake, do you see them? Am I looking at you as your judge? Oh, this is what you have right. This is what you have wrong. This is where you're off. This is how I can fix you. This is what you need to do. This, you're, you, know, you are a tool, a means to the end, and those kinds of things. That's, that's seating in judgment. Or do I see you as a physician? A physician still recognizes what's off, yeah? So, here's where Kirk's a little bit off. Lord, how can I encourage my brother in his relationship with you? Kirk, looking at me. Man, this guy's young and he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Here's where he's off. Lord, how can I encourage Blake? How can I walk alongside him? See the difference of being a physician versus a judge? Again, here, Peter and John seeking to be a physician, be a healer, be a conduit of healing into one another's life. And then the crowd here is that they all see what happens to this man. And this is what the Lord is doing as we continue to go through Acts. The first two chapters already give us the outline and the formula that's going to happen repetitiously. God performs miracles. He continues to do these, these things that will cause astonishment in the culture and in the community so that the crowd will come together and ask the questions. What's going on here? I pass that guy every single day and now he's jumping and leaving and walking. He's been crippled for 40 years. Why? They're in wonder and they're in amazement. And Peter's response, again, I love this. He asked them the question, why? 
Why are you amazed? Think of what's been going on in their culture. Think of who Jesus has been in their immediate past, in their culture, that they're all sitting in the testimony of. How many people did Jesus heal? As we sit there and go through the Gospels, we're told wherever he went, from community to community, Jews and Gentiles, in these different places, he is freeing demonically possessed souls from their bondage. Levels of wickedness that I can't, I can't even imagine. They're free. They're now in their right mind. Delivered from demons. How many of those men and women went into their communities and bore testimony of that freedom? Blind men, people born blind. No possibility of healing, no surgery, no medicine, blind, dark, I can't see. Eyes are opened. How many people did they tell? How many people witnessed that? The deaf hearing, the mute speaking, the lame walking from community to community. Mostly up there in the area of Galilee. We see different snapshots in different places. Who Jesus was in their culture has caused multiple ripples. Why are you amazed? You know who we are. You know what we're here preaching and doing in this community. Why are you astounded at this, at this miracle, at this event? You know, you know who the source is. Why are you looking at us? Why are you looking at me like I have any kind of power, any kind of ability to heal anyone, to save you, to deliver you, to make you whole, to make you sound, to make you well? I have nothing. There's nothing in me. And again, this is one of the Peter can ask the question of the crowd. Do you see me? And then, how do you see me? Do you see me in truth? Or do you see me as a, as a means to your own end? Here, why are you looking at me? Why are you looking at this miracle? Let's get down to... The truth. Let's get down to the foundation of things. And the foundation of things is always Jesus Christ. And this, Peter is looking at the crowd as he sees the crowd. It's going to be a diverse crowd. Men, women, children, old, young, different races, different classes. The crowd is gathered together and he's proclaiming to them Jesus Christ. He's talking about don't look at us, let's look at our God, defined as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob there in verse 13. He is the God of our fathers. This is the culture that they've grown up in. They've grown up in the word. They all know exactly who they're talking about. And he says, our God glorified his servant, Jesus. And that word there, servant, it's not, a, it's not doulos, which uh, that's the word that's, you know, bond slave, bond servant, slave that we most often see in the New Testament. This is a, a boy, it's a child. He glorified his boy slave, Jesus. And the reason why this word is important is because, again, in this culture, when they hear this word servant, 
they're immediately going to Isaiah's context. They're immediately, their minds would be taken to Isaiah 52 and 53. Their minds would be taken to this servant whom Isaiah proclaimed through the inspiration of God in the Old Testament. This is who we're talking about. The one who God told us was going to come. His servant, his boy slave, Jesus. Also titled the Holy One and the Just. And these are... Both references to not just God himself in the Old Testament, but to the Messiah, giving very clear definition to who he is talking about as he is addressing the crowd. He gives this incredible contrast of so often we are asking for the exact opposite of who our God is as we're seeking to fulfill the lusts of our flesh in some context. Even though we think that we're pursuing God and even though we think that we're attempting to do the will of God, here when they're crying out for Jesus to be crucified, they ask for a murderer instead. And again, the contrast is Jesus himself, this word the prince of life, it means that he is the originator of life. So look at the contrast. I think that I'm doing God's will. They thought that they were doing God's will. Ultimately, they were asking for a, somebody who takes life and they were looking to take the, the one who is their originator of all life. This is sharp contrast that, peers, that pierces the heart. And again, this is, we're going to watch this repeatedly in Acts. This is something that needs to re be repeated in our own daily lives as we preach to ourselves the gospel about who Jesus Christ is. Not only was he crucified, he was raised from the dead. This is the testimony that we believe. This is the, the witness that we step into relationship with God in. Because he has been raised again from the dead, we know that his sacrifice was accepted. We know that our sins have been removed, that they have been paid for. And because the originator of life rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, he's coming back. All of this is, you know, it's, it's all the same simple gospel proclaimed truth that God created the heavens and the earth. He created you to have a relationship with you. You were broken, you were lame. So therefore he always planned to send his son to deal with your brokenness, to deal with your lameness, to deal with your sin, which was on that cross. The testimony of what he did is truth is through his resurrection. Those who witnessed that resurrection witnessed him ascend into heaven, which we're told here that the heavens are holding on to Jesus until the time of restoration. This ultimate time when all of Israel, the nation of Israel, is going to turn to Jesus in repentance. And their king, our king, is coming. And all of this is wrapped up in God's incredible nature and character, his love, his grace, his compassion and passion towards us, his understanding of our brokenness and our failures, and his desire to make us strong in him. It is through Jesus' name. It is through faith. It's upon faith in his name that made this man strong. You see it. 
you know it. You can bear testimony to this to others in your life that as we look at one another, again, this guy's life is he's jumping and leaping and bearing testimony to who he, to what has occurred in his life. Who's he pointing to? Is he praising God or is he pra- he's probably praising Peter and John too? Like, thank you guys for being obedient. This is awesome. This is incredible. Peter and John, this man now knows the source. You were, you were healed in the name of Jesus Christ. He's now able to, this is what Jesus has done for me. And again, how important it is, not just in history, but in present. Jesus gives us perfect soundness. In that call to a relationship with him, once we understand who he is, once he understands um, what it is that he has done, every single one of us have heard the message that we need to repent. We need to have a change of mind. We need to enter into a relationship with him. The word be converted there is to return. It's, it's coming back to an original state. For us, it's coming back to that original intention that God has had for our lives, which is to be in relationship with him, with him, and with all those in him. When we come to him through that repentance and return, he erases our sins. We're told in the word that there's these different books that are written. There's a book called the book of life where names are written. There's one idea that at salvation, your name is written in the book of life. There's another idea that every name is written in the book of life and those who reject Jesus are blotted out, erased from the book of life. There's also books of sin. Can you imagine opening up a book that chronicles your life, your rebellion, your evil, your wickedness, your depravity, your shame. Can you, can you imagine? That is what Jesus has blotted out with his sacrifice. Through his grace, through his love, It's that all of it has been blotted out and removed. It's fully erased. And in place of all of that, we get all of him. And that's this. Now that we're clean, now that we're in relationship with the Lord, we're free from sin, we're free from shackles, we're free from our lameness and our brokenness. Talks about so that these times, these seasons, these occasions of refreshing can come in. All y'all have been sitting in Georgia, and it's been hot lately. Amen? Stinking hot. Thursday night, Friday night, sitting in football stadiums that it's hot, it's sweaty, the air's not moving, it's ew. What happened yesterday? This cool, fresh, reviving, refreshing wind is blown into our community. That's what this word refreshing means. A cool wind is blown in. We can sit in these times of refreshings culturally where God has done major outpourings of himself into communities where there's been a time of refreshing and repentance and the gospel is going out and the community is being blessed and it's growing. 
There's also personal times and seasons and occasions where you have been refreshed in the Lord. Where in spite of the circumstances and the trials and all that's going on, has not your God blown into your life his refreshing wind, his refreshing spirit, rejuvenated your mind and your heart, rejuvenated your service, rejuvenated your mind. When you've gotten bogged down and all the, the, just the, the issues of life that keep getting stacked on top of us, he comes and he blows all those things away. That's what these seasons of refreshing come in. And we all go through cycles of this. But heaven is holding on to, to Jesus until what? till the times, till the occasion of the restoration. This is when the king, the creator of the heavens and the earth, in his plan, in his time, in his purpose, everything that he has promised to us in his word, he is coming. And it will be a time of the restoration of all things. You and I will be completed Fully new, new bodies, new names, light, full heirs and possessors and inheritors of all that is Christ, which is everything. One with him, one with one another. Joining in that worship that we were at in the beginning this morning, around his throne, singing and praising his holiness. This is the gospel. This is what we preach. This is what we communicate. This is the reason why God performs miracles. This is why he heals people. This is why he uses different things to get your attention. So that he can ask you the question, do you see me? Do you see me in the word? Do you see me in your life? Do you hear me in your heart and in your mind? Do you see me? Do you respond to me? Listen. To you first, speaking to the Jews here, God, having raised up his servant, his servant Jesus, very last sentence here, chapter three, God sent Jesus to bless you. Do you see that in Jesus? He's there to bless you and to love you. He is there to turn you away, to convert you, to turn you away. And iniquities is a really clean word for your wickedness, your maliciousness, your evil. Worship team, come on up. And as they make their way up here, Let's go to God boldly in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do. We come to you boldly in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, with our mouths, with all that we are. We run to you through the name, in the name of Jesus, your servant, the Holy One, the just. We see you, Lord. We see you on your throne and in your majesty. We see you surrounded with 
other create creatures that you've created, Lord, that are, that are proclaiming and shouting and singing and declaring your majesty and your holiness, your power, your kingship, your sovereignty. We hear them, Lord. We can see them in our imagination. We're longing for that day, Lord, to see them, just to, to be present there. Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus, the one who you sent, your son who you sent. We see him. We see his birth. We see his teaching. We see his compassion. We see his mercy. We see his rebukes. We see his commands. We see his love. We see you, Jesus. And in that recognition, my attention goes to you. I know, I know, Lord, that you see me. You know my mind. You know my thoughts. You know my words, my actions. You know what I'm looking to and looking from other people to give me, to affirm me, to see me, Lord. You know my judgments. You know my complaining. You know the stones that I cast at others. You know me, Lord. And you love me. And you're gracious to me. And you're merciful to me. You're compassionate to me because I come to you through Jesus. I come to you, Lord, to be refreshed. I come to you to be changed. I come to you to be clean. I come to you to be washed. I come to you to worship you because you're worthy to be worshiped. I turn from this world, Lord. I turn from myself. I turn to you. Keep changing me, Lord. Keep speaking truth to me. Keep leading me. Keep me holy. Keep me safe. Keep me in your love. Keep me loving, Lord. Keep me. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.